This is T.M. Camp, and you're listening to the podcast of my novel, Assam and Darjeeling. Book Four, Coming Home, Chapter 17. The sun didn't exactly come out, but there was a lightening of the sky, a warmth that spread gently across them as the car approached the river. Their mother lifted her face, basking in the glow from the parchment sky. Where are we now? G asked. We're still in the Midlands, sweetie. Sarah sounded sleepy. But we're getting close to the river. The Midlands? Assam hadn't heard of this before. Sarah nodded. The whole plain behind us, the desert. It's called the Midlands. It's one of those thin places on the edge of this world and yours. It's the place to where dreamers go, Seth added, where sleepwalkers wander and the near-dead wait. What do they wait for? For their time to come, time to go on, or time to go back. Some days, long ago, all of this was crowded within between people, some wandering in and some wandering out, and some just wandering. Why isn't it crowded today? She asked. It has not been crowded for a long time, not since back in the old times, the times of my people. Your people? Assam asked. Yes. Egyptians? Gods. They drove on in silence for a while. Why isn't it crowded anymore? G asked. Who knows? Maybe people die faster now, with their hospitals and computers to hurry them along. Maybe they live longer and die faster. Maybe they have other ways now to keep out of the path of their death, to hold sweet sister death off and close their ears to her weeping for them to come back to her. Come back to me, their mother whispered. Gee squeezed her hand, a wave of sadness washing over her. I'm here, Mommy. Assam looked at her, sharply, suddenly. She ignored him, staring straight ahead, filling her head with music from the radio, making her thoughts as flat and uninteresting as possible. She didn't want him eavesdropping. Seth slowed down, turning the wheel. So we're almost here, he said. You'll be on your way home soon. Assam sat up and craned his neck to peek out through the windshield at nothing but desert. When we get there, Sarah said, let me go down first and sort things out. Charlie will pay more attention if it's just me. Seth said nothing, loudly. What if he says no? Assam asked. Sarah smiled. He won't. 
I'll go and talk to him, and then you'll get on the boat. She leaned over and tweaked Sassir. And then I'll get back in my lover's beautiful car, and he'll drive me back to his place for... Uh, she stopped, hesitated. For what? G asked. Sarah blushed. For a nap? Before dinner? A nap sounds nice, their mother said. Stay awake for a little while longer, mother, Seth called back to her. We are almost to the river. The car slowed to a stop. Everyone got out. Seth put on a pair of sunglasses, eyes like mirrors. They were parked at the ridge of a long sloping bank that led down to the river. There was no sun in the sky, but the river didn't seem to mind. It had its own light to work with, and that was more than enough. The water was so clear, so bright, dazzling, rolling and rippling like gold and silver coins scattered over a mirror. There is no way that's the same river. Assam couldn't accept that the gray and dingy river they'd come down had anything in common with this one. His eyes hurt just looking at it. Who are they? G asked, pointing to the water's edge. They are passengers, hopefuls, people looking to go home. Seth nodded to her. People like you. It wasn't a big group, G thought, maybe less than a hundred. They stood in an odd zigzagging line that turned this way and that, folding in on itself a number of times. On one end stood a small sign on a post. At the other, a boat waited, bobbing on the bright water. A tall, familiar figure stood on the dock next to the boat. Okay, Sarah said. I'm going to go down and have a word. When you see me wave, come on down after. She gave Seth a quick peck on the lips. Be right back. And then she was off strutting down the bank with her hands in the back pocket of her jeans. There's too many people, Assam said to Seth. They won't all fit on the boat. You should have seen the line a thousand years ago, Seth said. This is nothing. It was long, huh? Seth nodded. It was long. So... What happens when the boat is full? Seth gestured along the curve of the river. The boat leaves. The rest wait. They watched as Sarah made her way up to the end of the line and, without any hesitation, walked right around the side and straight up to the front. The tall man on the dock saw her coming and, just a little, stood up straighter. Sarah walked up. They spoke for a moment. And this man, he still sends her the email three times a week, Seth muttered. What a jerk, their mother agreed. Below, Sarah looked back up at them and pointed. 
they saw the man follow her gaze. He said something to Sarah, and she nodded. He said something else. She shook her head firmly, crossing her arms. The man stared at her for a moment and then glanced back up to where they were standing. He looked back to Sarah and nodded. She hopped up and down, kissed his cheek. Seth made a noise, not pleased. Sarah was waving to them. You hurry now, Seth said, before he changes his mind. Assam took his mother's hand. Thank you for everything, he said to Seth. Thanks for helping us out. Yeah, G agreed. Thanks for the ride. Seth's mouth turned into a tight little twist of a smile. Thank you for giving us something to talk about tonight at supper. He held out his hand and Assam shook it. You take care of yourself and these ladies of yours. I will. It was a pleasure to meet you, their mother said. You have lovely eyes. Mom, she said, mortified. Seth knelt down in front of the girl. I am happy to have met you. He touched the back of his fingers to her cheek and stopped. Thanks, she said. You too. He held her gaze for a moment. Then he nodded, slowly, straightening up. Maybe you can come back to visit sometime, for a holiday. I doubt it, Assam said. All the same, Seth replied. Once you push through one of the thin places, it gets thinner, and you get better at it. Okay, Assam said. Well, thank you. Seth nodded and Assam turned, leading his mother down the bank toward the river. G hung back for a moment. She glanced up at Seth. He looked at her and shook his head slowly, sadly. Might as well try. She nodded, turning to follow after the others. She caught up to them just as Sarah reached them, heading on her way back up. Okay, Sarah grinned. I think you'll be fine from here on out. She looked back over her shoulder and waved. The man on the dock did not wave back. He sees you, she said. He'll take care of you. Sarah looked at the three of them and took a breath. Okay, be safe. Don't forget about us. G's mother stepped forward and hugged her. Thank you. She almost sounded like her normal self. Thank you for everything. Sarah gave her a squeeze. Happy to do it. And you, she said to Assam, peeking over his mother's shoulder, don't be so serious all the time. She stepped back and ruffled his hair. Take a page out of your sister's book. Learn how to have some fun every once in a while. I'll try. His voice sounds funny, G thought. A moment later, 
He was crying. Sarah hugged his shoulders. Don't worry, you're almost home. He nodded, wiping his eyes on the sleeve of his sweater. I know. Thank you. She smiled warmly and gave him another quick squeeze. Come back and see us again, she said with mock sternness. Just not too soon, okay? He sniffed and nodded, allowing his mother to pull him to her side. The two of them, mother and son, continued down the bank to the dock. Assam looked back for his sister. I'll be right there, G called. She turned back to Sarah. Thank you. The words didn't quite want to come out of her throat. Sarah crouched down. There were tears in her eyes. She looked deep into G's face and stopped. Oh, sweetheart. Sarah's face crumpled into itself for a moment. She smoothed it out with effort. I'm sorry, G told her. Sarah sat back on her haunches, the tears breaking free to roll down her cheeks. She shook her head. I'm sorry, G said again. It was all she could say. Sarah put a hand to the girl's cheek. Don't worry. It, it'll be fine. I'm sure he'll... She looked down to the pier and broke off. G took her hand. I'm going to miss you. Sarah nodded. Yeah, well, I don't want to see you for a very long time, okay? When she'd said it to Assam, there'd been a joke in her voice. This time, she was serious. She said it with all of the authority of a death goddess who knew her business and had been at it for tens of thousands of years, when she wasn't actually waiting on tables, of course. G tried to speak, stopped. Don't worry, Sarah said. Don't be frightened. Lightly, she kissed the girl's forehead. G stood for a moment with her eyes closed, her hands at her chest. Goodbye, she said with a sudden sob. She turned and ran down the hill to where her brother and mother were waiting. She buried her face in her mother's side. When she finally raised her head to look back, she saw Sarah standing at the top of the bank. Sarah raised her hand and waved. She waved back. Then Sarah turned and was gone. She started crying again. Who are all these people? Her mother asked Assam. It was a good question. Standing at the back of the line, they had a pretty good look at their fellow passengers. Waiting directly in front of them was a large black man wearing a pair of ripped jeans and a wrinkled white shirt. His long, dark hair stood out from his head like spokes from a wheel. He was barefoot, and he carried a brown paper bag that was stained dark at the bottom. He held the bag away from his body so it wouldn't drip on him. 
Ahead of him were two elderly women standing hand in hand. They were each wearing hospital gowns and trying very hard to keep them closed at the back with their free hand. Every so often, they would shoot an accusatory glare to the man standing behind them. For his part, he gave no sign that he'd noticed them at all. Further up in the line, there was a girl about a psalm's age, waiting patiently. From time to time, she rubbed at what appeared to be a small dent in the side of her head. Assam thought she was very pretty, apart from that. She looked back at him. He looked away quickly. There was a large collection of what appeared to be tourists, huddled together and consulting their guidebooks. They spoke in whispers and stared suspiciously at the people around them. A few fingered the scorch marks that marred the edges of their lightweight summer clothes, shaking their heads. A few of the others took photographs. The stewardess standing in front of them ignored their questions as best she could. She did not, however, seem to be able to stop from offering her patient, phony smile to everyone who happened to catch her eye. A woman in a scarlet tracksuit very dark and beautiful, carried a long baguette under one arm. In the other hand, she held a large aluminum travel mug from which she sipped from time to time. Assam could see seven boys standing together near the front of the line. They shared no similarity among them, save for their approximate age, their blonde hair, and a dark patch in the center of their chests. There was a man, standing alone. He wore a crumpled tuxedo, and his hair was wet. One shoe was missing. He read a sodden, dog-eared paperback book, but he was too far away for Assam to see the title. Somewhere, elsewhere in the crowd, a baby wailed. A woman, an old woman, iron-gray in every way, right down to the polyester pantsuit she wore, frowned at the cell phone in her hand before doggedly attempting to dial again. She sighed and closed it at last. And there were also the shadows that waited patiently in among the people, smears of darkness that moved along with the rest of the crowd, shuffling forward a few steps at a time. Assam studied one of them standing close by. It was translucent, a vague blur against the air, and when he tried to concentrate on it, to listen in to what it was, all he heard was silence. He wondered where they were headed, what they were thinking. He wondered how he looked to them. I don't think there's enough room in that boat for all of us. A man nearby frowned for the benefit of anyone who might be paying attention to him. He wore a business suit, stained dark under the armpits. Assam, unsure of whether or not the man was talking to him, said nothing in reply. He stood up on his tiptoes, craned his neck, but he could not see the end of the line. But he knew the man was right. There were too many people waiting, and the boat was far too small. They were too far back in line, 
his sister and mother and himself, they were never going to get there. They were never going to get home. You've been listening to Assam and Darjeeling, written and read by the author, P.M. Camp. A new chapter from the book is available each week, free to download at the iTunes Store. To find out more about Assam and Darjeeling, to read my weblog, or to send me your questions and feedback, visit my website at pmcamp.com. I hope to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. This podcast was written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp and may not be copied, distributed, transcribed, or otherwise reproduced without his express written permission. Please direct all inquiries to the attention of the author at www.tmcamp.com. If you are unable to access the Internet, spread a thin layer of peanut butter over a slice of whole wheat bread. Sprinkle it with unsalted sunflower seeds and place it on the sill of any second-story window in your home. When the blue jay arrives, whisper your request to her. She will pass it along. If you live in a home with only one story, move.